0: Hi, this is Jeremiah and you're listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi folks and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas and I'm thrilled to be with you today. Thanks for taking time to join me. It's Sunday May 22nd. We're continuing in our five week sermon series called James, Faith, and Works. We've only got one more week, though, after this. So if you've missed any of the previous episodes, you can catch up right here on this media platform and you'll be all up to date. Now, as I said in the beginning, I also reminded you last week each week we're looking at two interrelated ideas from the particular scripture passage we're looking at that week. In the first sermon, we talked about testing and perseverance. In the second sermon, we talked about listening and doing, and last week, we talked about faith and works. Today's interrelated ideas are speaking and boasting. Now, words are incredibly powerful and carry in them both life and death. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment, but right now, let's open with a word of prayer. O oh Lord, please transform our words into messages of hope and reconciliation. Help us to resist the temptation to speak evil of others, and instead, give us the strength to share the hope of Jesus with everyone we can. In his name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. I'm just really excited about today's message, and I've got so much to share. As I said, this is the largest section of James we're going to be talking about in this series. Conveniently for me, as I mentioned moments ago, it's all about words. As you probably already know, the book of James spends a lot of time, probably close to a third of the book, devoted to the words we speak, how we speak, and why we speak. And as I'm sure you already know, words are powerful. American novelist Nathaniel Hawthorne said, words, so innocent and powerless as they are, as standing in a dictionary, how potent and evil they become in the hands of someone who knows how to combine them. Yes, words can be evil and destructive. Honestly, if you've ever lived through the junior high or middle school years, you know just how true that is. But words can also be life-giving, creative, and wonderful. Simply think for a moment about a time when someone spoke encouraging and life-giving words to you. Wasn't that just amazing? In fact, we know from the book of Genesis that God literally spoke the world into existence. And in Psalm 33, 9, it says, For when he spoke... The world began. It appeared at his command. Words are powerful. Words have meaning. An ill timed or perfectly timed word spoken to someone can impact their entire lives. Just think about that for a moment. You can change the trajectory of another person's life simply by the way you speak to them. This might have been some of the impetus behind why James devoted so much time to this particular subject in his letter. And because this is the largest section of James we're gonna cover at one time, I'm gonna tackle the chapters in slightly bigger chunks to see what James has to teach us about both speaking and boasting. So let's get started. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Open up your Bible or Bible app to James chapter three. Let's start with verses one through five and we'll see what James has to say. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. James begins in verse 1 by saying that people should not rush to become teachers in the church. Many of his status-conscious readers would have desired the reputable position of teachers in the community. Coming hard on the heels of chapter 2, one of the most honorable works that would immediately come to the Jewish mind would be the position of teaching. James has in mind a greater emphasis on spiritual growth and self-control before someone assumes the role of teacher. Teachers will be judged by God with greater strictness, just as we read. Teaching authority comes with it greater responsibility. As works reveal the depths of a person's faith, so words show the depth of a person's maturity. The teacher is held to greater accountability because of his or her key teaching role. Then he immediately moves on to verse 2 and says, We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Look, we all make mistakes. We all slip up when we're off guard. We all stumble. But our most frequent failures occur When we're speaking, because we're prone to make mistakes in our speech, we need to be even more careful to let God control what we say. He's capable of guiding our motivation, our thoughts, our very word choices, and even the impact our communication has on others. Many people may think it's impossible to control the tongue, but the truth is most people haven't even begun to try. The ability to control the tongue is the mark of true maturity for the Christian. Take a look back at James one nineteen. You know that section that talks about being slow to speak? That's what we're talking about. When James confronted the religious leaders about their accusations against him, he said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, showing that what is inside of a person affects what they do with their speech. You can check out Matthew 12, verses 33 to 37 for more. He also said that we must give account for every careless word we utter, Matthew 12:36. People who can control their tongues will, as we just read, be able to keep their whole body in check. The wisdom and love from God and the self-restraint given by the Holy Spirit will help us exercise control. Then in verses 3 through 5, James goes on to give three practical examples about how something large and powerful is controlled by a comparably tiny thing. What do a horse's bit, the rudder of a ship, and even a small fire have in common? They are all small but very effective controllers. They each direct something much larger than themselves. James is building a case for the damaging power of our words. We see this evidenced in history when dictators like Hitler, Stalin, and Hussein Use their words to mobilize people to destroy others. We see it evidenced in church splits and in the ruining of a pastor's reputation. We see how verbal abuse in the home can destroy the very personhood and character of spouses and children. Satan uses the tongue to divide people and pit them against one another. Idle words are damaging because they quickly spread destruction. And speaking of fire, let's read verse 6. And think about all the ways the tongue is described in this one verse. It says, The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. So James describes the tongue as first a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. In other words, the uncontrolled tongue can cause great damage in the world and the Christian community. Then the uncontrolled tongue is also corrupt. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of their life on fire. This means that the tongue can destroy all the good that's been built over a lifetime. While we've ministered for years and years and seen abundant fruit, if we fail to control the tongue, We can undo all the good we've built up in our years of ministry. Our speech has a power that few other capabilities possess, for our tongue is, as it says in the verse, itself set on fire by hell. Flames of hate, prejudice, slander, jealousy, and envy seem to come from the very lake of fire where Satan will be punished. That's a pretty intimidating list, And the point James is trying to make is getting clearer and clearer. No human has been able to tame the tongue. In fact, in verses 9 and 10, James says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. How strange that the tongue is able to speak praises to our Lord and Father at one time and then it breaks out into curses against other people. We should have the same attitude of respect for fellow human beings as we have for God, because they are created in His image. Yet we have this horrible, double-sided tongue, so that praise and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. It's incredible. Some people think that the only restraint against foul talk, calling people names, and bad language is social disapproval. But God's word condemns it. James says that the reason we should not curse people is because they have been made in God's likeness. We should not use any word or name that reduces them to anything less than their full stature as God's created beings. Then he continues in verses 11 and 12 by saying, Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Here, James continues by contrasting fresh and salt water. His point is a spring can't have both fresh and salt water. Although different kinds of water won't bubble from the same opening, Christians' speech can be very inconsistent. One time we may speak in a way that honors God, and another time in a way that gives Satan power to operate. We can choose how we will respond. If we don't, we give Satan an opening to control us. We should produce the kind of fruit that we've been created and regenerated to produce, the fruit of righteousness, just as you would expect to pick figs from a fig tree. Only a renewed heart can produce pure speech. If the source of our thoughts and actions is the love of God in our lives, then we will not be able to generate the kind of negative speech that James warns us about. Next is a really large portion of scripture, James chapter 3, verse 13, all the way to chapter 4, verse 10. Follow along in your Bibles as I read. Starting with James 3, we're going to read verses 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Now we go to James 4 verses 1 through 10. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, You did not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. probably some very familiar verses to you as well. In this passage, James talks a lot about really negative things. So in a nutshell, what's the antidote for all this ugliness that he talks about? James says it right there at the end of the passage in chapter 4, verse 10. He says the antidote is humility, meekness, and kindness. That verse reads again, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now to humble yourselves before the Lord, to admit our dependence on him, means recognizing that our worth comes from God alone and nowhere else. It's recognizing our desperate need for his help and submitting to his will for our lives. Although we don't deserve God's favor, he reaches out to us in love and he gives us worth and dignity, despite our human shortcoming. When we do, the promise is sure. He lifts us up. And gives us honor that's what that verse says next in verses 11 and 12 James says brothers do not slander one another anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it when you judge the law you're not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it there is only one lawgiver and judge and one who is able to save and destroy but you who are you to judge your neighbor Wow With an abrupt shift from describing an appropriate attitude towards God, James turns to the proper relations between believers. Look at verse 11 again. We love God by being humble before him. We love our neighbor by refusing to slander them. To slander someone can take many forms. We may speak the truth about a person and still be unkind, or we may spread gossip that others have no business knowing. We may be questioning someone's authority or nullifying their good work by backbiting. Obviously, this hurts the harmony among believers. The tense in the Greek reveals that James is forbidding a practice that is already in progress. The people were already in the habit of criticizing one another. Now, this verse includes the sixth and seventh times in his letter that James has mentioned God's law. It's the royal law, the law that frees or convicts, the law that must be kept. Here the law is under attack. The specific problem being confronted violates the ninth commandment, Exodus 20 verse 16, do not testify falsely against your neighbor. It also violates the more fundamental law of Christ, Matthew 22:39): love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus called this the second greatest commandment. If a believer speaks against another believer sitting in judgment, as it said in the verse, of the law because he's not showing love and is not treating others as he would like to be treated. His disobedience showed disregard for the law for he's passing judgment on its validity. By doing so, he's putting himself above God. When we judge one another in this slanderous way, we are clearly failing to submit to God. About 10 and a half years ago, In a previous ministry, I underwent a time where I was the object of quite a bit of slanderous words and accusations. As is often the case in this time of situation, no one person came to face me directly, but they did eventually come in a group. And along with that, the slanderous words and accusations were threats of action that could lead to my firing. I was devastated along with my wife. It hurt so deep so badly. And the part that hurt the most was that the group was headed by the elders of the church, men who I had spent, in some cases, eight years serving alongside. I learned many things about myself during that time. I also learned a lot about church leadership. But what I learned most is God is in control of all things. If you just back out of the way and let him take it, He will. He's in control. And if he leads you to it, he'll lead you through it. I didn't create that phrase. I've seen it for many, many years. Maybe you have too. But I truly believe it. And I'm a living testimony to the truth of that statement. And to God be all the glory and honor for that and all things. Weigh your words carefully, church. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Then in verse 12, James sets the record straight about who's the source and enforcer of the law. We who are accountable to God's law can't place ourselves in God's place. God rewards those who obey the law and destroys those who disobey. James also takes away any rights we might claim for criticizing our neighbors. Behind the critical spirit is an attitude that usurps God's authority and is full of pride. There should be no critical harsh fault finding in the body of Christ. I can't say that enough. The principle in this verse does not prohibit the proper action of a church against a member who is flagrantly acting out in disobedience to God. You can check out 1 Corinthians 5 and 1 Corinthians 6 for more information there. Instead, James is concerned with the critical speech that condemns or judges others' actions and their standing with God. He is confronting individuals who might be tempted to set themselves up as personal watchdogs on other believers. We might think that just criticizing a church member or spreading a little interesting gossip is not that serious, especially when compared to other sins, but the Bible sees it as a sin or utmost seriousness because it breaks the law of love and it tries to usurp God's authority. As we saw in chapter 3, the tongue is a tool of deadly sin and we dare not minimize its danger. As we've discovered today, God's word has an awful lot to say about how we should use our words. Here's a few gold nuggets of wisdom from Proverbs 18 for you. Starting with verse two, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Verse four, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Verse six, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. Verse 7, a fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Verse 20, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. And finally, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Let me wrap this up for you today. Death and life are truly in the power of the tongue. With our mouths, we praise God the Father in one setting and curse our neighbor in another. I think if Pastor James were here with us right now today, he'd say, church, we can do better. And the upside for us is in the 21st century, we have lots of new mediums where we can practice being humble and kind. Places like Facebook and Instagram, mediums like email and review sites like Yelp or others. These are all spaces where we as believers can enter in and shine the light of Christ. These are spaces where we can be quick to listen and slow to get angry. Places where the words of life are so abundantly necessary. So with that in mind, my friends, I want to challenge you this coming week to be even more intentional with your words. Let them be life-giving and uplifting to others. Let them be encouraging and filled with humility. American poet Emily Dickinson said, a word is dead when it is said some way. I say it just begins to live that day. So let your words come to life this week and set them free to give life to others. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.